Amen. It is good to see you. Um, this is a beautiful day, isn't it, Easter? When you think about the fact that we get to celebrate today, not only the fact that Jesus created, that he came. And he came and he wrapped himself in, in flesh and he lived a sinless life. And we know from the scope of scripture that because he sin- lived a sinless life, he became our sinless substitute. Amen. So he dies on the cross as our sinless substitute. And here is the beauty of Easter, that when he rose from the dead, he rose as our sinless savior. Amen. And so now we get to celebrate a sinless sovereign who is sitting at the right hand of God on his throne, who governs and rules the universe. So we get to celebrate that good God today. It's Easter. Okay, now with that said, when I was a uh, sophomore in college, um, or actually my junior year, I lived with my best friend. We lived in a fraternity house of all places. So you've got 65 guys in one house. Never a good idea, ever. Is that a good idea, right? And so we are living in a fraternity house. And and KC, my roommate, he's one of those guys that he'll make you think he knows a lot more about any given situation or circumstance than he really does. Y'all know guys like that? So, I mean, you could be talking geometry and he knows it, right? He doesn't know it, but he knows it. I mean, you could be talking stars and planets and he knows it, but he doesn't know it, right? I mean, he's got everybody convinced that he, like he, he knows just enough of the lingo to make you think that he knows it. I mean, he's the guy that um, your car breaks down. You tell him your car's broken down and he instantly says, well, let's go look at it. So you go and look at it, you pop up the hood, and in no time, I mean, hoses are flying out of that car, belts are being rearranged, the engine is laying beside the car. And you're like, I thought that sounded more like brakes, not the engine, right? And so then you ask him the question, are, like, mechanic in your background, some, no, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, that, that's like over and over the situations that you find yourself in with him. Now, now my favorite one came when it was football season. We're watching the end of a football game. We've got all the guys kind of around this TV. We're watching this game. And this particular game came down to a a last-second field goal. And it wasn't just any field goal. It was like a 55-yard field goal, a long field goal, right? And so I just make the the comment in passing. I mean, it wasn't like uh, me making a, a profound statement or anything. I just said, that's a long kick. I mean, that's going to be really difficult. And, and, and here it comes, right? I mean, he just couldn't let it go. Ah, uh, that's, that's not that far. <laughs> Have y'all ever had one of those moments where, where you can feel just the pride swell inside of you? That was that moment for me. And, and so he couldn't let it go, and then I couldn't let it go, right? So my mind instantly starts thinking, like, this was the, the progress of my mind here. Um, I, I know Casey didn't play football. He quit in like the fifth grade, right? I mean, he was a soccer guy. So I knew he didn't play football. And, and so and I, then I start thinking, um, he has no idea how far a 55 year, you know, yard field goal. Then I start thinking this, my sophomore year in high school, I was our field goal kicker for two games, right? If anybody knows how far a 55-year-old field it's me. That, that's who knows. Not only, this is a true story, not only was I our field goal kicker the sophomore year, it lasted for two games. At the end of the second game, we're playing, playing our crosstown rival. I missed not only an extra point, but a field goal to lose the game for us, right? So if anybody knows how long a field goal is, it is me and not soccer boy, right? <laughs> and, and so in that moment, I, 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 I crossed the line. In that moment, every, like the cards were played and it sounded like this. So you think you can kick a 55-yard field goal? His response, yeah, I, I know I can kick a 55. 
Oh, so you know you can, right? So, okay, so we, we, this clearly aligns in the sand. And I said, uh, I'll bet you $20 and all your pride you can't. So literally, we all, we don't even finish the game. He goes, gets his soccer cleats, right? We go to the football field. We mark off 55 yards. There's guys down here. I'm like one upright, the other guy's the other one. 50, and, and here is this beautiful moment. He said, uh, man, that looks a little longer than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks longer. It's 55 yards, right? I mean, your fourth grade football is a little rusty for you here all of a sudden, right? And so I'll never forget this moment. I, I'm the holder. Somehow I'm the holder in this deal. He comes, does his little trot into the ball, kicks it. I mean, he really kicks it hard, right? I mean, this ball is flying through the air all of about 30 yards. I loved that moment, right? That was a beautiful moment. And, and I'll never forget this. In that moment, like if you're KC, here's what just happened. You got your manhood challenged in front of 60 guys, right? Can I, kick a, can I kick a ball 55 yards? And the answer was he couldn't. And, and so in the middle of that, his pride is hurt. His manhood was, ch- he's $20 poor, right? But at the end of the day, in a year from now, who cares, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, um, other than his pride and $20, not a whole lot has been lost. And 99.99% of questions are just like that. I mean, if you're way over the top, you might make a sermon illustration in being wrong, right? But, but other than that, it's water under the bridge. In, in a year from now, in 10 years from now, it's something that we laugh about, but nobody really cares. But okay, now let me switch that back here. Because there's like this 0.01% of questions that determine everything. There is this 0.01% of questions that, that if you miss them, a lot more than your pride and manhood is challenged. There's this 0.01% of questions that that when you miss them, it determines everything about your life and about your death. When you get this one wrong, it changes the course of everything for you. And and so let me me just kind of switch this over. And we're not talking about, did the Cowboys win? That is not the question, right? The question is not, how are the Mavs going to do? I mean, maybe it's the Ranger question, maybe, right? But okay, no, it's, it's not... There are these 0.01% of questions that determine everything for us. It's it's these questions that revolve around your eternal destination. I mean, that's, that's where these questions, that's where these questions lie. Like these questions of, are you right with God? What happens when you die? I mean, what happens when you stand face to face before God? I mean, those are the questions that at the end of the day really matter. And listen, if you're not careful, and if we're not careful, we'll spend all of our life knowing how far we can kick a field goal, but having no idea how we're going to stand before Jesus. If we're not careful, that will be us. And listen, everybody has an opinion. If you're just to go on the street and ask somebody, are you going to heaven when you die? Everybody has an opinion. And most people, that conversation starts like this. Yeah, I believe I am going to heaven. Well, why? And they all have an off-the-cuff answer to that question. Okay, but, but hear this. It is not enough to have an opinion or an answer. You have to have the right answer for it to matter. And if you're wrong on that right answer, it determines everything for us. Everything for me, everything for you, everything for us. So, okay, let me throw this question back out here. The question for the morning is this. 
Are you right with God? That's the question. Just real simple. Are you right with God? When, when you die and stand before God, how does that moment go down? Okay, now I think in general, people fall into four, one of four categories when it comes to this. And let me lay these out for you. And this might help us just set a context for this. One of four categories. The first one might be this, that you're secure, but not sure. So, so this would be the person that they are saved, they're secure, they have been saved, but they're just not very sure about it. Like, they really battle with doubts. And listen, doubts can be a really good thing for us periodically. But when it's a lifelong doubt, there could be some problems there. So maybe we need to take a step back and, and, and sift through some of those issues. Okay, so you've got the first one, secure but not sure. Here's the second one. They feel sure, and this is the scariest one, by the way. They feel sure, but they're not secure. So if you ask them, how does that conversation go? We're good. Nothing to worry about. When in reality, they have everything to worry about. Okay, now now let me just put this little primer in here on this one. That this is most of the people in Bible Belt world. In our context. In our culture, everybody knows just enough to get themselves into a whole lot of trouble. We know just enough to make it really difficult. So so this one, the second category is we feel sure. We're confident, but the problem is we have nothing to be confident in. Okay, here's the third category. Is we're not sure and we're not secure. So so we're not saved, but we're not sure about it. I mean, we don't know what, what the deal is there. And that is a good place to be. If you're there this morning, that is a beautiful place. And this is going to be a place to you, I'll promise you this, that you can ask honest questions and we'll do our best to give you good biblical sound responses and answers back to those. So, so this third one is not sure and not secure. And then here would be the fourth one, is you're secure and you're sure. You're saying, like you walk in this morning, you would say, I am in, I know what the deal is here. And, and it's right, like you, you do have something to be confident in. So that is our one in four. So, so let's just take a step back and say this this morning. Maybe this could be a beautiful morning for you if you would just give a morning to sit back and answer the prime questions the 0.01% questions to take a morning to step back and just say, you know what? I'm going to do an honest evaluation. Like I, I'm going to make sure that this doesn't pass through one ear and out the other. I'm going to make sure I think about the primary ones, about the most important ones, about the ones at the end of the day determine life and death for us. So, so maybe we need to take a step back and listen, it's hard to do that. Right now, it's hard for us to do that. We've got life going. I mean, it's the grind of life for every one of us in here. We've got jobs, family. We had a crying kid on the way. We've got all this stuff just happening, right? And so if we'll just take a step back this morning and say, God, Holy Spirit, would you just make it really clear for us? One of the things I pray for us consistently is that God would not allow us to set in deception. That if we are deceived in this thing, he would stir us out of that. That the Holy Spirit would speak really loudly into our lives. Okay, this is where we pick it up in Luke 23. Luke 23. So this is the hope of this morning. That that we get to the bottom of this question and you can leave here today being really confident in where you stand. That, That you're very clear on what the right answer is, what the biblical answer is. Luke 23. And so here's the context in Luke 23. In Luke 19, Jesus has just rolled into Jerusalem. 
And, and I mean, it was a parade. He was the celebrity and he was being celebrated. They literally threw an old fashioned parade for him. And I, like, I don't mean get the trailer and the hay bale out. I mean, he is on a donkey and they've got palm branches going. We are talking old fashioned parade here. And listen, they are cheering his name. He is coming in and it's literally blessed be the name of the king. This is him. I mean, this is the king. So he comes in on this donkey and the crowds are cheering his name. Now, now here's what's interesting. You start reading forward in Luke. And by the time you get to Luke chapter 22, the crowd has completely switched. He has taken his disciples into this upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. It would be Thursday night. So Sunday he rolls in. Thursday night he's in an upper room with his disciples. Passover meal. He gives them kind of some final instructions, washes their feet, and he leads them to the garden to pray. And in that garden, he is praying so ferociously, right, that that his capillaries literally start to bust under the skin, and he literally starts to sweat drops of blood. Knowing what's to come, he's praying, God, um, not, not my will. If there's another way, great, let's do it. But if not, it's not my will, but yours. If there's no other way, let's do this. Early kind of Friday night, this is late Thursday or late Thursday night, early Friday morning. Judas leads these soldiers. They capture Jesus. They parade him around six kind of mock semi legit trial or actually non legit trials. Six of them. They scourge him. These scourgings are so severe that by the end of it, you can barely recognize his body. Right. I mean, he's literally beat just to the brink of death. And then they parade him early Friday morning in front of that same crowd cheering king. And now the cheer has changed. And now it's crucified. Pilate has crumbled under the weight of this crowd. He sends Jesus with a cross strapped to his back to Calvary to be our Passover lamb. And that's where you pick it up in Luke 23. And, and let's start in verse 32. You see it there? Verse 32. It says this, two others who were criminals. Matthew and Mark say they were thieves. But two others were criminals. They were led away to be put to death with him. So so here's the context for this morning. The, The context is you've got Jesus between two thieves. The question is, are you right with God? That's the question. When you stand before God, how's that gonna go? And and here's the beautiful thing about these two thieves is they serve as great representatives for you and I. I, Here's for every one of us in here. We are all gonna be represented by one of these two criminals. One got it, one didn't. One saw clearly, the other didn't. One saw his need, the other didn't. So every one of us in here, we're gonna see a real clear picture with these two criminals as to which one are we're represented by. Listen, the question of this morning is not going to be, are you a criminal? The question is, which one of these two thieves, these two criminals represent you? That's the question that's going to bring some clarity to this issue of, are you right with God? How is that conversation going to go? So let me ask three questions that kind of revolve around this passage, starting in verse 39, that will help us see clearly to the answer of, are we right with God? Question number one, do you see your sinfulness? Do you see that? Can you see your sinfulness? One of these thieves could, did. One of these thieves didn't. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 39 here. Chapter 23. says this, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus. So, so not just kind of threw an insult, but they were railing at him. I mean, there is a fist in the air if it wasn't nailed to the cross, and they're shaking it at him right now. Okay, so they've railed at Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Like, can you hear the mockery in that? Save yourself and us. But look at verse 40. But the other criminal, 
The other thief rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Look at this one criminal. Number one, he he sees that he's a criminal. I mean, it's very clear to him. I I know I'm a criminal. He sees it. I know why I'm here. I am on a cross because I'm a criminal. Look at the end of verse 41 there. He says that the due rewards of our deeds. He knows his deeds. He knows that he is robbed. He knows that he's a felon. He knows that he has broken the law. He knows that, that he is a sinful man. He can see it very clearly. The other one couldn't. Okay, but not only that, this one thief, he knew he was a criminal and he knew he was justly condemned as a criminal. He knew that his sin and his sentence fit. He knew why he was on a cross. He knew that his disobedience deserved his death. He knew that. So you've got one criminal that very clearly, he knows he's a thief. He knows he's a criminal. And you've got this one criminal who doesn't. And not only that, he knows, this one knows that he's justly condemned as that criminal. So so let me ask you the question. Do you see your sinfulness here? Do you see that you are a criminal? Can you see that? Doesn't that kind of strike right at the pride of us? That we're a criminal? That we are sinful people? And, And this has been my experience that most people don't see this. And by the way, most people don't tell you this. Most people will allow you to slide right through life and never say this to you. That we, just like these thieves, should be nailed to a cross. That we, just like these thieves, are sinful. But most people don't see that. I mean, most, most of us, here's how we think about God. We think that God kind of works on this bell curve, right? And so you've got this bell curve. It kind of is shaped like this. And as long as you can just kind of get in this maybe top 30 or 40 percentile, then we're okay. I mean, we're not claiming to be Mother Teresa, right? We're just claiming not to be Hitler. I mean, so, so if we just got this, this spectrum out here, I mean, we just need to be kind of on the front end of this. And surely we're going to kind of be graded at the right spot. So so here's our problem, is that we base our righteousness before God, our goodness before God, not on what God says, what the Bible says, we base it on what we see in other people. That's where our our whole kind of system of thinking about God and our relationship to Him stands. If I can just be a little bit better than my crazy neighbor or my insane in-law, then I'm good, right? I mean, if I can just get over the hump there, then we're all right. But here's the problem. God does not judge on a bell curve. Here's how God judges. You've got in this hand, faultless, perfect. And you've got in this hand, felons. That's it. Faultless or felons. And to help us see real clearly what we are, um, God just says, look at the Ten Commandments. This is my grid. This is the answer key. If you want to know where you stand here, how I look at you, are you good? Are you bad? Are you faultless or are you a felon? Just lay those 10 commandments over your lives and let it do the speaking. So you can base yourself off of what other people think all you want. But God's saying, listen, the 10 commandments are your standard. So, okay, just humor me here. Let's just play this out. One of the 10 commandments is don't lie, right? And so if I came up to you and lied, this is going to be 
participatory right here. What would you call me? A liar, right? Yeah, I would be a liar. If I lied to you, I don't have to lie 30 times to you. If I lie to you, I'm a liar to you, right? Yeah, okay. So, so if I came and stole something from you, what would you call me? A thief, yeah. Okay, now, now this is going to really raise the bar here. Jesus is going to say don't murder. The Ten Commandments don't murder. New Testament is going to say this. If you harbor hate in your heart, you have murdered. Okay, first commandment goes like this. Don't put any God before me. As soon as we elevate something before God, what we have just done is become an idolater. We've looked at four of the ten, and we are lying, thieving, murder idolaters. Faultless or felons. So you can hide behind your neighbor all you want. I can hide behind my neighbor all I want. But God is saying your neighbor is not going to be in front of you when you stand before me. I will be in front of you. And in that moment, our neighbor gives us no shield. Hitler gives us no shield. There is no bell curve. And the truth be known, apart from Christ, our heart would look more like Hitler's than Jesus's. So God's saying this, do you see that you are a criminal? Do you see that? And not only that you're a criminal, but you're a condemned criminal. I mean, isn't that, I mean doesn't that strike right at the pride in us? That, that I look at God and say, in your sight, I am a condemned criminal. That's what I am. Now, now here's this big misconception. I think it comes to God. That, that if God is a good God, if God is full of love, if he's a good judge, then surely he would not send people to hell. Surely he wouldn't do that, right? Okay, so, so let's play this out. If somebody comes into your house tonight, let's just say, I'll just use it in my situation. They come inside my house tonight. I wake up, man in my house. That's a scary day, first of all, right? Okay, that happens. He hurts somebody I love. We catch him red-handed. He is the man. This is D1. He was in my house. He hurt my kid, murdered my wife. It was him. We get to the day of, of judgment, right? We, we try this case, and it is time for the judge to slam the gavel down. And let's just say that, that all of a sudden the judge says, you know what, I've known this man for two or three years now. I mean, I, I've known him, and I know he messed up here. But listen, he didn't kill 15 people. He killed one. I mean, he, he's not that bad. I know he messed up here, but surely that's not that big of a deal, right? And, and let's just say the judge says, you know what? He, he's not that bad, so let's just let him off. We'll just kind of scrape this under the rug. And we'll just kind of go from there. Would we all not be in uproar in that moment? Why? Because a good judge would not do that. A good judge would punish evil, not sweep evil under the rug. And so our good father, our good God, our good judge cannot sweep our sin under the rug. It doesn't work that way. Our good God, because he is good, because he is loving, has to punish evil. He has to. And so it's not just that we stand as a criminal, but our sin has found us out. We, are, we stand condemned as the criminal, right? Our, our sin has caught us. So, so let me just ask you the question. Do you see yourself that way? And I know those are hard words. And, and here's the truth for all of us. We talked about this last week. That the gospel has got to sober you before it will ever satisfy you. 
I mean, before God gives you the cure, he has got to diagnose the disease. If you don't know you have a disease, you don't want the cure. And until we see we are a condemned criminal, Jesus will always appear dull to us. He will never appear as the glorious Savior that he is. Until we can see that. So do you see yourself there? One thief did, one thief didn't. One thief clearly saw we are getting the reward of our deeds. One thief clearly did not. So the question is, which thief are you? Do you see your need? Do you see your sinfulness or not? Second question. Do you see the Savior? Can you see the Savior? So do you see your sinfulness? And now the satisfaction, here it comes. Do you see the Savior? Isn't it amazing to think about this? If you pick up the story in Matthew and in Mark, here's what you find in that story. That both of these criminals, they're both hurling insults at Jesus. In Luke, it kind of makes you think that maybe just one of them is kind of there. But in both the other Gospels, both the other times it's mentioned in the, in the Gospels, it's going to say that both of them were. Both of them were reviling God. Both of them were railing against God. Both of them were doing it. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that, and isn't that kind of crazy that you are literally moments away from death? I mean, you are pinned to a cross waiting to die. And with your last bits of energy, you're having a cutdown party, right? I mean, it is who has got the best cut down here. I mean, your mama is, is that not crazy, right? And so all of a sudden for one of these thieves, it shifts though. Like all of a sudden, all he can think of is insulting Jesus when his eyes are open. We're like the eyes of his heart finally start to see clearly. And for the first time, this Jesus who looks really weak, really pale, really beaten, really humble. For the first time, he looks at that Jesus as something completely different. You remember that day for you? When Jesus appeared completely different? When the eyes of your heart saw in a completely new way? Uh, On the cross, in the middle of, of the battle of the best cut down here, one thief looks and sees that Jesus is sinless. Look at the words there. It doesn't say that he was wrongly accused. It doesn't say that, get another DNA sample, we've got the wrong man. It doesn't say that. It says this man has done nothing wrong. He is sinless. He is perfect. And we know when we widen the scope of scripture that because he is perfect, he is our sinless substitute on the cross, our sinless savior when he rose. So we see the picture. This thief gets it. I have just seen for the first time this man that I'm insulting. There is something other about him. There is something different about him. This man is sinless. And and then he goes on. Not only is he sinless, but this man is a savior. So, So this thief, he gets a whole new view of God. He is in the middle of insults, looks at Jesus and says, he alone is my hope i have got nothing other than him i have got no way other than that he alone is it i have got no other opportunity this is it so all of a sudden he sees jesus for something completely different he is the sinless savior but look at me here the other thief did not see that which thief are you Do you see Jesus 
as the sinless Savior, as your one hope, as the only way. Listen, he is not a way. He is the only way. And listen, Oprah can tell you whatever she wants, but he is the only way. If you think anything other than that, it's because you have made up your own God. It's not the God this Bible teaches. He is the only way. Do you see him as your sinless savior? I mean, do you have eyes that see that, that can perceive that? Last one. One thief saw it, saw his need, saw his sinfulness. One, one thief saw that this is it. This is the sinless Savior. This is him. Okay, and last one. Let's pick it up in verse 42 here. And this thief, one thief, the repentant thief said, verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus spoke some of the most graceful words in all the Bible right here, verse 43. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, a criminal condemned, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that beautiful? Today you will be with me in paradise. This thief experienced salvation. This thief, everything changed in that moment for that thief. So let me ask you the question. Have you experienced salvation? Have you experienced that? Has that moment happened for you? A couple of things about this salvation. Number one is it's a glorious or gracious salvation. It is gracious. This man could do nothing to earn it. He couldn't unpin himself from the cross, get down, kind of do a few good deeds, and then come back and kind of earn it. There was nothing he could do to earn it. It was a gracious salvation. He is a condemned criminal, nailed to a cross for his sin. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you're with me. It's a gracious salvation. If there is an unlikely candidate in all of Scripture... Put this guy up there with Paul. He is unlikely. And here's the beautiful truth that you, however unlikely it is for you to be saved, you are never beyond the bounds of God's grace. Never. We are never beyond those bounds. It is a gracious salvation. It will hunt the most wicked of us down and save us. Isn't that beautiful? That that salvation that Christ offers, this sinless Savior, by grace, tracks the worst of us down. It's a gracious salvation. Not only that, it's a guaranteed salvation. Look at how Jesus starts this. He says, truly, I say to you, this is not a myth. This is not make-believe. Jesus is saying, this is truth. And when I save, I sustain. When I save, I carry you all the way through. When I save, you can mark it down, nail it down. It is done. It is stamped. It is forever. When I save, it's guaranteed. Isn't that beautiful? we got a guaranteed salvation. Not only that, we've got a glorious salvation. You know my favorite words in that verse? It's not in paradise. I mean, I, I like the in, in paradise part. That's a beautiful, that's a grand theme. You read Revelation, here's what you see about that paradise. That there is no sin, sickness, death. There is none of those things. There's streets of, I mean, the whole thing is beautiful. I'm pretty sure in the fine print you're going to find that in paradise there's no duck hooks, slices, any of those things. It's going to be a good day for us, right? Okay, but, but here's the thing. That's not my favorite words in that sentence. Favorite words are the five before that. You will be with me. 
Do you know why our salvation is glorious? It's not because we get a recreated earth and everything goes well. It's not because there will be no sin or sickness. It is because when we are saved, there will be a day that we are reunited with our Savior. That is why it's glorious. That is why it's great. Listen, loved ones reuniting, that is going to be a beautiful thing. But the reason it is glorious, the reason it is paradise is because we get God. That's why. That is what makes our salvation beautiful. At the end of the day, the God of the universe is saying, this is how you get me. That's what you get. Not only is it a glorious salvation, it's a time-sensitive or it's an instantaneous salvation. Let me back up. It's instantaneous. There was a moment that this thief was condemned under God's law. And in another moment, he has the affection and grace of God on his life. It is instantaneous. There is a moment where we move from death to life, from unsaved to saved, from not secure to secure. There is a moment in time that that happens. And that moment lasts forever. But it's a moment in time. There is a moment where everything changes. For this thief, that moment was on the cross. It's a time-sensitive salvation. There is a day when the opportunity runs out. This thief was moments away from that day. This thief was hours away from the opportunity ceasing. When we die, there is no more options. When we die, there is no more opportunity, right? And listen, man, I, I was the king of the bad plan. Here was the bad plan. I mean, I, I, this was me. The bad plan goes like this. I'll just put that off. I'll just wait to get that one nailed down. This is why it's such a bad plan for us. Is listen, your life is unpredictable. It is so unpredictable. You are not guaranteed your long-awaited little day down here. That is not a guarantee by God. It is a bad plan to think that you can take care of this later. I I love what the Puritans used to say about it. They said there is one moment in the Bible, one story in the Bible, where we see a deathbed salvation. And here's the reason we've got one moment. It's so no man will despair. But there's another reason it's only one time in the Scriptures. It's so that none of us will presume. And if we're presuming on the grace of God, we are fools. Almost all of us in this room are going to die before we think we will. Do you know that? Almost all of us will. It's very seldom planned. Almost every one of us in here are going to die before we think. We would be a fool to put that off. Uh, my wife, her dad, was refereeing a football game. He, he's chasing down a play, has a heart attack, dies on a football field. Now listen, I don't say that to scare anyone. I say that to shake us into reality, right? That it is an unpredictable thing that we call life. It's a bad plan. It's not only unpredictable, but listen, your heart never stays in neutral. There is no neutral with your heart. When you walk into a place like this and hear the gospel, you walk out either harder or softer. But there is no neutral. So just because you think, that, okay, my heart's kind of tender to that today, but I'll just kind of wait until then. Then we'll, It doesn't work that way. Your heart either grows softer or harder. So to think that in 15 years, then my heart will be ready to go with that. You're crazy to think that. It's not reality. 
We, we can't keep our heart in neutral. It's a time-sensitive salvation. There is urgency with this thing in our unpredictable lives. And last one for you is it's a faith-required salvation. That here is our role in salvation. The grace of God accomplishes it. We get to respond. So the grace of God works in our heart and we hold our, our hands up in life and re, up in um, surrender, joyful surrender in response to that. That is our role. Picture this scene with me and we'll, we'll close it down. Picture this scene with me. Um, picture yourself a condemned criminal. You are standing before God Almighty and the gavel has been slammed. This man, this woman is guilty. Now, I want you to picture this. Picture God in Jesus disrobing, like taking off this black robe of judgment, walking around the bench, looking you in the eye. You say, how does God do that? Well, 2,000 years ago, he, he came, he, he lived sinlessly, he died as your sinless substitute on the cross, rose as your savior. So he looks at us in the eye and says, I can save you. I am the redeemer. I am the restorer. And I even save criminals. And the ball's thrown back into your court. God accomplishes the work. And then the grace of God moves and we respond. And so the cross is just a fact. The resurrection is just a fact. Until we respond. And when we respond in faith, and here's what responding in faith is. It's not believing these facts. It is trusting in these facts and treasuring Jesus. It's trusting and treasuring. So when we trust in Jesus, we hold our life up in joyful submission. I am yours and we treasure him. At that moment, we move from a criminal to a man, a woman who has been saved. That's it. It's a faith-required salvation. So let me ask you. One thief got it, one thief didn't. The question is, which thief are you? What, what criminal represents you? Will you pray with me? If there is a more important question for you to have nailed down, I don't know what it would be. If there is a more important question for you to have solidified, I, I don't know what it'd be. So, so let me just ask you, do you see your need? Do you see it? Do you see your sinfulness? You're a condemned criminal before God. Do you see the sinless Savior? And have you experienced salvation? Have you done that? And listen, I, I'm not for dragging any of these things out. I'm not for manipulating anything. But, but if this is a day that you'd say, you know what? I haven't. And that sounds like everything. 
I'm in the seventh grade when that moment hit me. The grace of God hit me. And in that moment, I staked my life on those things. I staked everything on it. The direction, the course of all of life, all of death, staked on that moment, on that Savior. And have you done that? That is the moment we cross from death to life. And if you would say, you know what, this is, this is a day where I would like to take a step in that direction. I would like to learn, have conversations about what it means to trust and treasure Jesus. Will you just take a look up here at me? Just make it real clear that you'd look up here at me. If you'd say, I, I, I need that. Cool. If you would say, I, I've never done, I, I need that. Great. Great. There's a lot of rooms up or a lot of eyes up around the room. And faith is not just a believing in these facts. It is holding your life up in joyful surrender, trusting and treasuring. So, so if that's you if, you, if you marked on that, you would like to learn what it means to walk in a relationship with God. Here's what I would encourage you to do today. I would encourage you to mark on your, on your uh, contact card. The, the box that says how to establish a personal relationship with Jesus. We'll get emails going back and forth this week. We would love to be able to, we would be privileged to be able to walk beside you in that. There is no bigger question. There is none. Make sure your answer is right to that. So if that's you, make sure you mark that down. We'll follow up with it this week and we'll line some stuff up and we would love to have those conversations. So we'll end this morning by singing and by, by praising our great and good God who is mighty to save, who is mighty to save. So God, we love you. God, you are a great God. We celebrate the fact that you not only died, but you rose to save us. So God, I thank you for how you have worked this morning in our hearts. And God, I pray that um, the gospel, the truth that we've, we've walked through this morning, God, that it might be heavy on all of our hearts. For the believers in here, God, I pray that we would preach it to ourselves that we would constantly be reminded of it, that we would never think we grow past it. It is the way not only that we enter the kingdom, but make all progress in this kingdom. So God, help us, help us know it, help us learn it, help us walk deeper into it. God, you are great. God, you are glorious. And I pray that um, we would live in such a way that, that we display that. It's in your good name that we pray. Amen. What you